Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome back to Casa de Blood. You know, I hope you all think of this as your second home, where you can just pop in your earbuds and come for a visit without spending a cent on gas. It's kind of like that meta thing, right? Except I don't steal all your information and sell it to China and shit. Well, who knows, Chester? I mean, it sounds like a big conspiracy theory to me, but who knows? Ah, don't listen to him. The prick's been around 80 million years and he doesn't think he can survive another two. Come on in, friend. Hmm. Alright. Hey, at least there's no cigarette shortage, right? Plenty of this, too. So smoke them if you got them, and drink those glasses to the bottom. Cause old Drew Blood has a tale to tell. Oh yeah, fuckers. Happy Memorial Day. Y'all be careful out there and stay safe. I need all my listeners to come back next week. Because, well, I love you. Alright, there, I've said it. I love you. Now go fuck yourselves. Hey, you guys patrons yet? Well, do yourself a favor and visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to join the club. You'll get ad-free versions of this and all our other podcasts, including hundreds of standalone releases from our archives dating back to 2012. I know a bargain when I see one, friends. So make like our buddy Paul and get after it. So tonight we've got a couple of ghostly stories from authors P.D. Williams and Rory Duane. In this first one, we join a small-town deputy hoping for a nice, easy night cooping in his cruiser. No such luck. So, without further delay, from author P.D. Williams, I give you... Speak of the Dead. Deputy Waylon Dupree winced when the first wave of thunder shook his patrol car. It was low and rumbling, as if the earth beneath him were crashing through the canopy of asphalt to take hold of him. The heavy rain came soon after. He struggled against the high winds to stay on the road. Add in some of that telekinesis and telepathy stuff, and you've got yourself something right out of a Stephen King novel. At 21, Waylon was the youngest deputy in the Bidwell County Sheriff's Department in Weldon, Mississippi, population 109 and a half. It used to be an even 110, but Mervyn Garnell had gone and gotten his legs lopped off while trying to dislodge a raccoon carcass from his combine. As the rookie, Waylon had the sublime privilege of working the graveyard shift in a town roughly the size of your average Walmart. Lord of Moses, that wasn't no clap of thunder. That was a dadgum standing ovation. It was almost two in the morning, and Waylon was dog-tired. The bottom had dropped out of the rain-heavy sky, and now he couldn't see two feet in front of him. He decided to be sensible about the whole exhaustion-slash-biblical flood thing and find a place to pull over and grab some shut-eye. He knew of a car wash about five miles up the road on State Road 29, 
where he could swing into one of those outdoor stalls and nod off till the storm passed. Whalen was well acquainted with the area. He'd grown up in the pinprick town of Blytheville. For well over a century, his kinfolk had filled the graveyards of Weldon and Blytheville and nearby Buckhorn. His family's sweat and bones were in the soil of each of the small farming communities. Everybody knew each other. Most were related in some way or another. As denizens of the peaceful rural life, their biggest concern centered around increasing their crops' yields and not accidentally coming onto their cousin in a bar. But there was also the unspoken yearning to run away from the land that absorbed its people like a sponge in a hurricane. The place never quite let you go. It sure hadn't let go of Waylon. Waylon took his time getting to the car wash. This wasn't the time for hot riding. He pulled into one of the open stalls and killed the old Crown Vic's massive 250 horsepower V8 monster motor. He sank into the well-worn butt crater bequeathed him by his lard-bottom predecessor, the newly and thankfully retired Big Mick Harvey. Waylon was just about to cross over into Snoozeville, USA, when the booming voice of Deb from Dispatch blared from the radio. The fearless female officer was a boisterous, hard-drinking, rough-and-tumble kind of gal, whom the boys at the department clandestinely referred to as Old Glory. The name had come about because each of them claimed to have been on top of her at some point. Waylon. Oh, Waylon. Boy, are you asleep out there? Just grunt and let me know you're alive. I'm here, Deb. What's up? I got a good one for you. You remember old Mabel Luckabee? Mabel was the stuff of legend in their neck of the woods. She was a mean old cuss who never met a person she could tolerate or a deodorant she couldn't overcome. If cleanliness is next to godliness, then Mabel was the Antichrist. She was now well into her seventies and living alone in her raggedy two-story farmhouse in Weldon. A widow by vocation, some of the townsfolks opined that her last husband, Ed, had passed away not because of any mishap or disease, but because, like the other poor SOBs before him, he'd wanted to. Not long after, his blue-tick hound dog, Buckethead, decided to go AWOL. Everybody figured, with Ed gone, the dog must have thought, no, no, you don't, and taken off for parts unknown. Mabel was an equal opportunity offender. She hated everyone, regardless of race, creed, or species. Her scowling moonscape of a face filled Waylon's mind, making him grimace. What about her? he asked. Did she ugly away or something? Darn woman looks like the love child of Steve Buscemi and Elma the Yak Lady. Don't know yet. I just got a call from Doreen, her nosy night-owl neighbor. Says she ain't seen her since Monday. That's two days ago. Doreen's tried calling her, but she won't answer the phone. She's also said the house lights have been on the whole time. I need you to do a welfare check. I know she's a pain, so just peek in her window and see if she's moving around. Uh, can't we just wait a few days to see if the buzzards are circling her house? Come on now, Waylon. You and me both know two things. One, the buzzards won't go anywhere near her because it might lower their culinary standards. And two, you ain't got nothing better to do. Deb... The only thing worse than finding that old hag alive would be finding her dead. Well, if she is, her funeral's gonna draw quite a crowd. Why? Nobody can stand her. That's true. But you know what they say. Give the people what they want, and they'll show up in droves. Ha ha ha. Fair point. Alright then, I'm on my way. The rain had begun to ease off, but the thunder and lightning were still raising a fuss. Waylon was thankful for the graveled lane that led up to the Luckabee house. Otherwise, he would have had to swim for it. After roughly 30 yards of potholes and low-hanging tree limbs, he pulled up to the decrepit old place. 
Waylon had been there a few times during his childhood to chuck rocks and cherry bombs. But with the storm still laying haymakers, the house looked more foreboding than he remembered. The lengthy shards of white paint that the claws of time had carved away made it look like a large potato that had gone a few rounds with an angry vegetable peeler. Its tattered roof sloped down to rusty gutters from which lush, rambling gardens of weeds flourished. Looming from the blackness, the eerie eyesore brought to Waylon's mind an exterior set from a Rob Zombie movie. Waylon grabbed a small maglite from his service belt, put on his plastic-covered deputy's hat, and jogged to the house's front porch. Its weak structural integrity gave him pause. This porch makes me think of Mabel, old, nasty, and sagging in all of the worst places. Waylon looked through the windows but didn't see anyone. He pounded on the door. No one answered, so he banged harder. Mrs. Luckabee! Oh, Mrs. Luckabee! Sheriff's Department! Mrs. Luckabee, you in there? When he failed to get a response, he tried the doorknob. Mabel had left the door unlocked, so he stepped inside. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Waylon walked through the house's main floor calling the elderly woman's name. But all was still and silent. With each step, the sticky wooden floorboards groaned as if they were dying. As he went from one disheveled room to another, he was amazed and appalled at the amount of debris that Mabel had hoarded. There were several dozen unopened boxes from QVC, old clothes and magazines, dusty porcelain dolls, and other creepy items that might indicate someone wearing a skin suit was about to come at you with a running chainsaw. Girl, you are seriously messed up. As he ventured further into the cramped house, a nostril-searing stench hit him square in the nose. Hoo-wee! Smells like feet, farts, and Fritos in here. Waylon headed up the stairs to check out what he figured might be a bedroom, a bathroom, and given the vibe of the creepy dump, a possible kill room. When he reached the second floor landing, he heard a faint sound coming from one of the rooms. Mrs. Luckabee? That you? He followed the noise to one of the rooms and found the door ajar. He pushed it open and saw Mabel lying on her bed. Dressed in a dingy white nightgown, she was propped up on a pillow, staring at a small portable TV located on a dresser near the bed's foot. Oh, hey, Mrs. Luckabee. You probably don't remember me, but I'm Don and Linda Dupree's boy, Waylon. I come by to check on you. You okay? Mabel didn't acknowledge his presence in any way. She just kept staring blankly at the TV as if it had hypnotized her. I'm sorry to bother you, but I need to make sure you're all right. Are you? All right, I mean. Mabel continued to ignore him, so he walked between her and the TV. She kept looking ahead as if he weren't there. Waylon went to grab hold of her toes and give them a shake. 
but when he saw the thick curled nails, he poked her foot with the hand-sized maglite instead. Note to self, destroy my flashlight. When she didn't respond, Waylon walked around to the side of the bed. He leaned in close to her and whispered, Mrs. Luckaby? Mrs. Luckaby? He pushed the side of her greasy head with the tip of his maglite, and she keeled over on her side. Judas on the tricycle. Waylon felt for a pulse but found none. Then he heard a faint scratching as Mabel's bottom lip began pulsing outward. He held back his sickness when two large brown cockroaches exited her mouth. After pulling in a few deep breaths to quell his disgust, he pressed the talk button on his shoulder radio. Deb, Waylon here. Pick up. The radio crackled and Deb's voice filled the room, too loud for Waylon's taste. Sup, Waylon? How's the Wicked Witch of Weldon? Why don't you ask her? She's standing right here. He chuckled at poor Deb's expense. Oh, I'm sorry about that, Mrs. Luckabee. I was just... <laughs> it's all right, Deb. She can't hear you. She's deader than Kevin Spacey's acting career. Oh, crap. Really? Yep. In fact, you can call her whatever you want. She ain't coming. Well, ain't you nice? Didn't your mama ever tell you never to speak ill of the dead? Though I guess we can make an exception in old Mabel's case. It ain't like she's gonna mind. You know, I don't mean the old guy no disrespect, but the only way I'm gonna be able to squirt a tear during this here tender moment is if I yank out a nose hair. Whatever. Listen, call in a... Waylon bent his head away from the radio's high-pitched whine. Deb, are you there? Wait. Where? Cut. Get out. Struggling to communicate with Deb, Waylon retreated downstairs in search of a better signal. Deb, can you hear me? He was relieved when she answered. Yeah, I can hear you, but barely. You keep bobbing and weaving on me. Listen, I've already let Dave, I mean the sheriff, know about Mabel. I won't repeat what he called her. He's still on his fishing trip, so he won't be there till almost sunup. I also contacted the first responders down in Camford, but they're at least a half hour out. Said that the storm had caused some trees and power line damage, so it may be even longer. Just sit tight until they arrive. In the meantime, I'm gonna need you to secure the scene and keep watch. Keep watch? You mean like in babysitting a dead body till the meat wagon and the sheriff arrive? Listen, Waylon. I know it seems like a big deal when you're new and all, but it'll be okay. Just make sure you don't disturb nothing. The sheriff will take care of the scene. Just go ahead and start your report. Jeez, Deb. Of all the corpses to be locked in with on a stormy night, I had to draw Mabel Luckabees. A low hum came over the radio. Deb, Deb, you there? Silence. Waylon sighed at first, then decided to make light of his predicament. He held the radio's mic up to his face and announced, Well, hey there, all you night owls. You're listening to W-A-Y-N, where the hits just keep on coming. Then, like a bad omen, the pounding rain returned with a vengeance. Waylon went back upstairs to check out the rest of the second floor. He was happy to find that the upper floor rooms were not as cluttered and dirty as downstairs. When he finished his exploration, he went into Mabel's room, took out his cell phone, and snapped some pics for his report. Once he got that out of the way, he shut off the TV and headed back downstairs to look for coffee. He was halfway down when he heard a loud click followed by the sound of the TV coming on. What the heck is that all about? Waylon re-entered Mabel's bedroom. The old tube television was on. 
and Mabel's body was propped up on the pillow again. Waylon was unnerved and confused. Say, wasn't she? He watched the lifeless body for a few seconds. When it didn't move, he turned off the antiquated boob box, then walked to the door. It was on again. Waylon was adhered to the floor, afraid to turn around. He was relieved to observe that when he did, and with only a tad of guilt, Mabel was still dead as a brick. Waylon figured the mystery had a reasonable explanation, so he shifted into seasoned cop mode. He told himself that all he was dealing with was a prehistoric television plugged into the wall socket of an old rickety house with suspect wiring. Piece of crap television, he thought. Things older than Moses' babysitter. Waylon reached behind the TV and yanked its cord from the wall, then glared at the blank screen. Now shut the heck up, or I'm gonna take out my gun and go Scarface on you. Waylon made his way down to the kitchen and began looking through the cracked, faded cabinets for some much-needed java. It took a lot of searching, but he finally found an ancient jar of freeze-dried coffee. The jar was sticky, the grounds clumped together like a rich, robust hockey puck. Waylon had guessed that someone had likely purchased the brown muck sometime during the Clinton administration. Has it come to this? Do I really need caffeine this bad? Begrudgingly, he accepted that he did. He turned his search toward finding a clean cup, as well as something in which to boil water. He flipped on one of the stove's burners and started digging around. When he saw a relatively clean mug, he lifted it as if he had found a holy grail and sang, Ta-da! There was a brilliant flash of lightning, followed by a floor-shaking thunder. Then the power went out. Oh, sweet lady of perpetual nonsense, what now? Waylon thought. Pulling his defiled maglite from his belt, he went looking for the fuse box. He didn't have to look for long. There was one located inside the kitchen's walk-in pantry. Waylon inspected the black briquette that was once the main fuse. Deader than a mean old woman in a farmhouse bedroom, he thought. Dust and dirt trickled down onto Waylon's hat like grimy rain. The sharp noise came from the room directly above him. Mabel's bedroom. His knocking knees betrayed his fear as his breath retreated into his lungs, refusing to come out. On the one hand, he knew it was his duty to go and check on things, but the other hand was telling him to grab the rest of his body and run like a crack-addled gazelle into the raging night. He settled the internal argument by siding with the more sensible hand. Waylon much preferred braving the torrential rain and sitting in his cruiser to staying in what he was rapidly coming to consider the redneck version of Hill House. In addition, he still needed to fill out a report. He was thankful that the paperwork was in the car, thus affording him a plausible case for reasonable cowardice. When Waylon reached the front door, he tried the knob, but it wouldn't turn. Then, as if on cue, a sinister cackle bled through his radio. Making his arm hair stand on end. He began to fear that a powerful supernatural force might be at play. The idea chilled him. Taking a few steps backward, Waylon warned the silent crowd of imaginary gawkers. Stand back, y'all. I'm fixing to make a Waylon-shaped hole in this door. Then an uncomfortable thought hit him. Oh, for the love of Lucy. The guys at the station will never let me forget it if I run like a little girl from a spooky old house. Gotta tap into my inner Chuck Norris and handle this case like one of the big boys. He drew what he could from his shallow puddle of courage and ventured back upstairs to inspect Mabel's bedroom again. When Waylon got there, his first act was to locate the source of the noises. 
Confusion collided with unease as he observed that nothing, including the recently departed Mabel, had moved. However, the lack of activity only served to make him more nervous. Screw the guys. I'm done with this place. As Waylon was leaving, the bedspring squeaked, followed by the unsettling sounds of somebody scampering away. He turned around and saw that Mabel was literally dead and gone. His skin tingled at the implications. He shined his mag light around the lightless room, praying that the formerly deceased woman wouldn't come running at him from one of the pitch-dark corners. Despite the massive storm bellowing outside, the world fell silent for Waylon. The weight of his dread submerged his entire mind in a cold black pool of fear and disbelief. Where's Steve and Elma? The scratchy voice said. Waylon spun around several times, the flashlight's beam hopping around the room like a bouncing ball of light. Suddenly, bare feet slapped across the wooden floor as the thing rushed into the bedroom closet, slamming the door shut. M Mrs. Luckabee, that you? The closet door creaked open halfway, and a shadowy figure crawled out. Its neck made a cracking sound as its head swiveled in Waylon's direction. Glowing yellow eyes peered up at him, numbing his quivering body. He focused a funnel of light on the thing dressed in a nightgown. Mabel's contorted body looked like a pretzel playing a game of Twister. Her breathing was quick and shallow, her frame heaving with every pant. As soon as the light settled on her crinkled face, she squealed and scuttled under the bed. Waylon's twitching hand rested on the butt of his service revolver. With great weariness, he plodded over to Mabel's last known resting place. Why don't you join me down here, Don and Linda's boy? Icy dots spread across Waylon's sweating body like frigid spiders skittering on bare skin. Against his better judgment and basic common sense, Waylon lowered his head toward the floor. Oh! Alabaster arms shot out of the mattress and gnarled hands seized him by his hat. Screaming, he twisted his head free of the ghostly grip. Waylon sped from the bedroom and toward the staircase. After a few clumsy steps, his feet flew out from under him, landing him on his backside. Helpless against gravity, he tobogganed down the painful steps, farting loudly with each violent bounce. Finally, his noisy hindquarters found the bottom of the stairs. After pulling himself up, Waylon returned to the locked front door. Grabbing the knob with both hands, he used all his strength to turn it, but his efforts proved fruitless. He pressed the button on his radio. For the love of the Lord, please answer me! The radio was still dead. His next idea was to try to break out through one of the windows. Waylon ran to the living room and tried opening one, but it wouldn't budge. He pushed up on the next one. Same result. Desperate, he grabbed a small coffee table and hurled it against the window. It bounced off the glass like a tennis ball. He was about to use his gun to help improve his luck when a coffee mug went sailing past his head, shattering against the impenetrable window. He whirled around and saw the lower back part of Mabel's nightgown disappearing around the kitchen doorway. Waylon yanked the gun from its holster, gripping it tightly in his right hand while holding the mag light in the other. That's enough now. This is Deputy Sheriff Waylon Dupree. You better make yourself known. There was a movement in the dining room. He went to investigate. The dust from the many items stacked around the dim room flittered in the bright ray of the flashlight. Waylon's nerves were bouncing around inside him like a pinball. He steered the beam around the room. I hope you all show up in droves. 
Quitting time! Waylon sprinted to the front door, where he fired every round in his gun directly at the doorknob, only to have them rebound off. His heart was racing as if it were qualifying for the Daytona 500. Let me out of here! Whoever you are, please let me go! I'll jump in my squad car and leave right now! Footsteps emanated from the front sitting room. Waylon heard the crackling sound of a phonograph needle making contact with the vinyl. An old-school swing-style dance number reverberated throughout the downstairs. He recognized the tune as one his grandma listened to whenever she decided to up the dosage of what she called her happy time nerve medicine. It was an old Judy Garland song from the 1960s called Come On, Get Happy. Soon, Judy's voice chimed in with a bouncy beat. Waylon raised his flashlight, holstered his empty pistol, and entered the dark room. His body became one large icicle. The late Mabel Luckabee, her back to him, stood in front of a large wooden stereo cabinet, swaying in time with the teeny-sounding tune. Mrs. Luckabee? Mabel? Ma'am? She stopped moving and snapped to attention. Waylon continued. The station house sent me here to check on you. You was upstairs dead. But clearly, you're feeling better, so I guess I'll be leaving now. Waylon watched slack-jawed and bug-eyed as the moving corpse levitated and spun around to face him. He aimed a flashlight at the hag, accentuating her face's pallor. Her yellow eyes blazed with raw hatred. His mind was yelling at him to escape but his body refused to cooperate. He struggled to work up enough spit to speak. Ms. Luckabee, I just want to leave and... The shrill sound, coupled with the force of her voice, caused all of the first floor windows to burst outwards. Her body flew through the air at Waylon. He shrieked, then hurled the maglite at her as hard as he could. Finally, his mind and body got on the same page, and he fled from the flying corpse. Waylon turned and ran straight for one of the painless windows, launching himself like a twirling meat missile. After landing on the front porch, Waylon rolled into the railing with so much force that his body busted through it and out into the yard. The violent impact made him look like a human bowling ball landing a perfect strike. Just as he was hauling himself up from the thick brown mud, he heard a siren in the distance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The EMTs were the first on the scene. Dave, the long-suffering sheriff, was still on his way back from his ill-fated fishing trip. They found Waylon standing in the front yard, in the middle of the vicious storm, a thousand-yard stare in his eyes. The team couldn't get anything out of him, so they had him wait in the back of the ambulance while they dealt with Mabel. After 20 minutes or so, one of the paramedics came down to grab some gear and check on Waylon, who was still shell-shocked. You want to tell me what happened in there? The windows are all busted out and the place is a wreck. Was it like that when you got here? Waylon was regaining his wits. He realized that there was no scenario in which the paramedics, or anyone else for that matter, were going to believe him. Resigned to his peculiar predicament, he muttered, Yep. Well, observations like that fall under your authority anyway, the paramedic said. I'll just go on with my job then. He began placing items in the small vinyl bag. Before he left for the house, he turned and said, As soon as we finish up here, I want to take you in for a quick checkup. You look like you might still be in shock. 
hell's bells on an Easter bonnet. I thought you boys were supposed to be used to all this stuff. He had only taken a few steps when Wailing called after him. Hey, tell me something. Where'd you find the body? Did you see anything unusual? You mean other than the house being beat to crap? We found her upstairs in bed. She was lying back on the pillow staring straight ahead. Creepy as all get out. She must have known the blackout was coming, though. Why's that? She had a small mag light in her hand. Then he left Waylon alone to ponder his sanity. Am I crazy? Or did I let my rookie self get so worked up that I started imagining things? He wondered. What a wuss. Waylon had nearly talked himself down off the 50th floor ledge of the crazy building when the radio in the front cab of the ambulance turned itself on. The sound of Julie Garland's mellifluous voice pushed Waylon off the side of his mental skyscraper as she crooned. Forget your troubles, come on, get happy. You better chase all your cares away. Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy. Get ready for the judgment day. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And that was Speak of the Dead by author P.D. Williams, a good reminder that there's no damn privacy anymore. Every little innocent joke you crack, there's some nosy Nelly listening in just waiting to be outraged. P.D. Williams is an author, composer, and multi-instrumentalist. His short horror fiction stories have appeared in several popular book series, e-zines, and podcasts. The author took up writing to earn extra money after a couple of bad investments, heat-seeking lawn darts and hot and spicy children's vitamins. He also writes in memory of an older brother who died while flying a night mission during World War II. He was a much, much, much older brother. You're invited to visit pdwilliamsauthor.com for more info on the author, along with some free stories. Thanks, P.D., I've got a public service announcement for all our CTFDN people. Adam Howe's got a great new book out called One Tough Bastard, and it's a hell of a read. Even better of a listen, narrated by the elusive Jason Hill. Get yourself 10 more hours of Jason and check it out. You won't be disappointed. That's One Tough Bastard on Audible.com. 
For our next story of the evening, we join an NYC bus driver making his rounds through eternity. From author Rory Duane, I give you The Quaker. Why does it feel I've lived this night before? Mike thought as he guided the bus down the road. Sometimes it feels that a night can go on forever. Even as the new day dawns, you find your mind slip back into the twilight. Who's to say we don't all exist in an eternal loop? Some soul hanging a carrot and stick over your shoulder, leading you in circles as they leach the energy from your soul. Twisted minds prefer to dwell in the unlit corners of the spiritual plane. Those sinister spirits that prey on the unwary. This story, dear reader, is a story about one of those spirits. So wherever you are, shut the blinds, lock your door, and check under your bed. For the Quaker might be watching. A multitude of dark towers rose above the horizon. The bus driver's tired eyes gazed out of the foggy windows at a sky with no moon. Thick clouds swirled and formed above. The yellow-tinged rain splattered the bus's windows discolored from the cheap lighting of the street lamps that passed by the bus, turning everything into a wayward Van Gogh. A name tag reflected passing headlights, NYC Transport, Mike Flanagan, appearing and disappearing as quickly as a rabbit in a hat. The bus engine hummed, struggling through another large body of water its wipers beaten together in a rhythm more familiar to the driver than his own heartbeat. The clock on the dash showed 11.34 p.m. Flanagan's bloodshot eyes stared at him through the rearview mirror, surrounded by dark sockets and pale skin. I looked like a fucking zombie. Looking past his haggard face, Flanagan saw that the three passengers hadn't moved. The bus drove down the street towards the empty bus stop. Pulling in, he waited. Only a few more stops until he'd be heading home to see Jane. An extended leave to attempt another patch-up on his already sinking marriage. The overtime and night shifts had killed all affection from their love life. All that held them together now was the little bump beginning to show on her stomach. Checking around once more, he didn't see anyone, so he pulled off. At the end of the street, he turned right. An empty train passed by overhead, the rumbling tracks barely audible under the thunder and rainfall. The weather channel said the storm was going to be here for another day. Damn storms, he mumbled to himself. Always getting in the way of everything. Just one more night, Jane, please. Hello? The young man at the back of the bus answered loudly. I can't... I can't hear you, Mom. What? Mom, why are you crying? Stop crying, please. He went silent and then hung up the flip phone and stuck it in his pocket. The color had drained from his face. The young man stared out the window, looking up at the lightning spiking through the gloomy atmosphere. Flanagan eyed him for another minute through the mirror, at the others who were docile and gazing at nothing. The old woman on the left hadn't spoken since getting on, and the little girl was still blowing bubbles with a chewing gum. It was funny now that he thought about it, because he couldn't remember where any of them had gotten on. Pulling into a bus stop, he waited, and was about to pull back off when a heavy thumping sounded on the bus's door. A black figure silhouetted from the headlamp's face was barely discernible under the large-brimmed hat he wore. What you waiting for, an invitation? said Flanagan. The figure remained motionless. Flanagan leaned over and pulled out the torch he kept under the dash for emergencies. 
He switched it on and pointed it down towards the door. The man was dressed in all black clothing. Flanagan thought he looked a bit like one of those religious farmers. Quakers, they were called. Are you getting on or what? I haven't got all night, said Flanagan. Do you believe in destiny, Michael? The Quaker spoke softly. It should have been washed out beneath the wrath of the storm, deafened by the thunder, but every word was crisp and cold as ice. What'd you say? Flanagan called back. He stared at the man, noticing his hat and coat were dry. Not a speck of rain was visible on the fabric. Our kind has to stick together, Michael. You just watch that tunnel now. A man can get trapped in there. The man's head turned a fraction too fast, like some glitch. Who are you talking to? A quiet voice asked from behind him. Jesus Christ, Flanagan said, jumping up from his seat to see the little girl standing behind him. There was an odd expression on her face. What do you think I'm talking to? Him? He pointed the torch back down to the doorway. Rain fell in through the open door. The floor was covered with water. The man was gone. Flanagan jumped down the steps and pointed the torch around outside looking for any sign of the strange man. There was nobody there. The little girl looked down at his name tag. Mike, I looked up as soon as you started talking. The doorway was empty. Flanagan scoffed at her. He was dressed in black. You just couldn't see him. I could see the bus stop. Unless he was transparent, I don't think so. Flanagan rubbed his forehead as he sat back down and shut the doors. All right, all right. Don't mind me, little miss. I've not got much sleep the last while is all. Well, should you be driving then, Mike? A man can hurt himself driving tired. My Uncle Dave was cut in half by a dozen truck driver. Flanagan looked at the girl in the rearview mirror and jumped with fright as he stared into the darkened face of the Quaker. It's you! Flanagan turned around. The little girl was shaking her head. I think I'm going to get off here, Mike. This is my stop. I don't want to go any further. No, no, don't be silly. Look, if you say nothing about this, the fare's on me, huh? What kind of transporter would I be if I let you off in the storm? Good, Michael. Very good, a voice whispered. The girl nodded after a moment and walked back to her seat watching him. She put a school bag on her lap and reached inside. Probably got pepper spray in there, great thought Mike. He put the bus in gear and pulled off. At the end of the street he turned left, headed towards the Madison Tunnel. The tunnel. Flanagan reprimanded himself. He felt like laughing. He had never had a good imagination. His wife could attest to that. To think he could have imagined someone was ludicrous. When the bus was halfway down the street, the street lamps flickered. On, off, on, off. Yellow, dark, yellow, dark. Then they stayed dark. A man could get trapped in there. He could see the Quaker's face in the window's reflection crouching down and whispering into his ear. Our kind has to stick together, Michael. Come now. Isn't it time you listen to me? You're not real. Leave me alone. I just want to go home and see my wife. Flanagan tried to swat him off. But you know that's not true, Michael. We must realize the truth in order to change. You must listen to me. You must find peace, sweet Michael. Go away! The Quaker's eyes began to glow as he talked, two tiny red orbs hovering beneath the hat's brim. Flanagan's knuckles were white from gripping the steering wheel. Taking his right hand off the wheel, he flexed it, inhaling deeply. I'm not seeing you. I'm not seeing you. I'm not seeing you, Mike repeated to himself. Denial makes it truth. You deny me now thrice, Judas. 
Look into my eyes, and I shall show you truth, sweet Michael. Flanagan looked around, faced the Quaker. The bus rattled and shook as it moved over bumps and puddles. He looked into those red glowing embers and saw. It was an eternal storm hanging over a city of souls. The people were sat by windows or in chairs, staring at nothing. The Quaker was with them, a balance between light and dark, hanging on a precipice as thin as a razor. Such is the battle that rages behind curtains and within shadows, sweet Michael. Flanagan saw his bus from the outside sweeping past. He saw the wind beating at the high towers, the orange moon hidden behind those yellow-gray clouds, the hopeless eyes gazing up at it. Then he saw a shape in the sky. Something was familiar about it. Something familiar about the way it floated through the sky. Yes, Michael, see. Before your time is up, you must see. But the clouds swirled in the wind. The tempest blew and clawed at the shape until it twisted and shattered and was blown into a million pieces and was gone. Flanagan sat back in the driver's seat. The passengers hadn't moved. He rested his shaking hand on his lap. Looking back at the road, he could make out the lights of the tunnel. As the bus got closer, there seemed to be something in front of it. The bus sped on, the wipers screeched. The roof sounded as if it would cave in from the pressure of the rain at any moment. They hit a puddle, jerking the bus. Flanagan wiped his forehead. His hand returned covered with sweat. The dark object was getting closer. Is it a car broken down? No, there was no hazard light flashing. Flanagan glanced in the rear view, then back onto the road. The lights outside flickered back on as the object disappeared. He took his foot off the gas, hovered over the brake. The lights flickered off. The dark object reappeared, three or four car lengths away. It swerved onto his side of the road, and he hit the brakes and the bus skidded, kicked out as it went. He could make out two horses now, galloping through the rain. They wore harnesses, black plumes of feathers on their heads that blew against the wind. They were pulling a dark carriage, a figure whipping at them from atop it. They galloped straight towards the bus. Flanagan could see the muscles flexing on the horses' bodies, sinews tensing beneath hair. The whites of their eyes glowed. Sparks shot out from their metal shoes as they collided with the road. He jumped back against his seat, bracing for impact, waiting for the violent clash, screaming. As the horses came into contact, they passed through the glass. The driver of the carriage came closer, the red embers now having cooled to two lumps of onyx that coldly watched him. Time slowed. The Quaker passed within touching distance. His blank, coal-hued eyes seemed to look right into Flanagan's soul. The tunnel, Michael. The tunnel, quick, get out, get out. It drilled into his mind, echoed, distorted. He shut his eyes, wishing for it to end. The bus slowed, coming to a stop as it hit the curb. Flanagan took a deep breath, opening one eye, peering around. He saw that the road was clear. The street lamps were back on. Sweat trickled down his forehead into his eye. He wiped it away with his trembling hands. Looking down the road, the tunnel stood only a hundred yards away. What are you doing? A voice spoke from behind him. Mike spun around, expecting an altogether different source of the voice. 
but finding the three passengers all standing parallel to each other. They watched him with blank eyes and pale faces. We must go through the tunnel, the girl said. That's where my family is, and I have to get back to them. The man nodded. My mother's ill. She's worried sick. Listen. The man brandished his phone to Flanagan. There was a woman stood beside a grave holding the picture of the man, crying. He saw a figure stood behind her, a dark figure. See, the man said, you must get me home. Mike shook his head. I don't want to go through the tunnel. Not yet. Not ever. The old woman took a step forward and her face filled with compassion. I know what I am. I will go through the tunnel. Don't be afraid, dear. Mike opened the door and she stepped out into the storm. She turned and offered a hand to them. The little girl skipped past him and down the steps after the old woman. Mike looked over at the young man who was still holding out the phone. The scene had changed. The grass was now long. The headstone, old and faded. You sure you're not going through? I'd much rather be on the bus. The young man had fear in his eyes. I can't. My wife. We're having a baby. It's going to work. I know it is. Mike saw the young man nod, then fold his phone and slip it into his pocket. Well then, thanks for bringing me this far, I guess. He walked past Mike and got off the bus, running across the intersection after the old woman and the little girl. The rain had eased off and a thick curtain of fog rolled across the ground, swirling after them in their wake. Mike sat down and shut the door and watched them all disappear into the tunnel. Walking down the plane aisle, Flanagan found seat B-13 and put his backpack into the overhead compartment, then took his seat. Last night felt like a dream. He put it down to fatigue and that was all. There were no phantoms in the taxi to the airport and no near collisions with oncoming carriages either. A woman put a bag into the overhead compartment and sat down in the seat next to him. They smiled at each other and she buckled her belt. She reached into her bag and pulled out a magazine and began flipping through it. He turned to the window and thought about last night. Maybe it was time he moved out of the city. It seemed like it was getting to him, the night shifts and the lack of sleep. It was too much. The flight attendants were showing the exits now. The plane's engines began to pick up as they started rolling. He'd tell his wife that he was thinking about moving back for good and begin looking for jobs. It would all work out. It would... Terrible accident last night, wasn't it? The woman next to him said. Uh-huh. The tunnel. Collapsing, you didn't hear? She looked at him now, eyebrows furrowed. He felt his pulse peak. Where was that? Madison Tunnel. A few vehicles and civilians were passing through it when it happened. It was a terrible accident. But if it had been during the day... She shook her head. He nodded and she went back to her magazine. Taking his phone out from his pocket, he typed Madison Tunnel into Google to see for himself. Was the man his guardian angel, perhaps? His wife had always told him there were such things, but he never believed her. The runway rolled by outside of the window. It was a sign. A sign to get out of New York and back home. A figure passed by the window's reflection. He caught a glimpse of it. His stomach lurched. He sprang around, sitting up as much as the belt would give. The man stood facing him in the aisle. He could only make out the slight smirk beneath the rim of the white hat. The Quaker tilted his head back. Those coal-hued eyes pierced into Flanagan's soul, his lips breaking into a smile, revealing crooked, sharp teeth. You've got to be kidding me. 
The woman beside him turned to the aisle to see what he was looking at. Who are you talking to? She looked back at him. You can't see him, he asked, looking at her. Then looking back at the aisle, it stood empty. No, this can't be happening. He unbuckled his belt. The plane began climbing away from the ground, making him wobble as he stumbled past her into the aisle. No, stop. Turn around, he screamed, running down the aisle towards the cockpit. The flight attendant went to grab him. He pushed her away, running for the cockpit. A large man in front of him stood up. Hands grabbed him from behind. He felt the pressure in his head as someone held him in a chokehold. His vision began to swim. Flanagan could barely make out the black shape further back down the plane. Flanagan could only faintly hear the joyful laughter as he slipped into unconsciousness. His last thoughts were of that laugh, how it seemed to taunt him, how it seemed to float from somewhere, somewhere a million miles away. Jane Flanagan had just gotten out of the shower. She walked into the kitchen with a towel wrapped around her waist and another in her hair. Walking over to the kitchen sink, she poured herself a glass of water and switched on the TV, taking a sip of the cool water. She flicked through the channels and then put it back onto the news. We've just received some breaking news. Flight 32A4 crashed after takeoff. The news reporter on the screen stated, Michael. Jane whispered as the glass slipped from a grip and it hit the floor, smashing. Why does it feel I've lived through this night before? Mike thought as he guided the bus down through the darkened street. He looked back in the rearview mirror at the three quiet passengers on the bus. The bus traveled down the street and into the dark surroundings, disappearing into the mist. Sometimes it seems that a night can go on forever. Even as the new day dawns, you find your mind slip back into the twilight. Who's to say we don't all exist in an eternal loop? Some soul hanging a carrot and stick over your shoulder, leading you in circles as they leech the energy from your soul. Twisted minds prefer to dwell in the unlit corners of the spiritual plane. Sinister spirits prey on the unwary. And this story, dear reader, is a story about one of those spirits. So wherever you are, close the blinds, lock the door, and check under your bed. For the Quaker might be watching. And that was The Quaker by Rory Duane. Sometimes it does feel like you're living in a loop, doesn't it? Like every day is interchangeable with the next. Eerie. Well, no more oatmeal for me. I'm switching to grits. Rory C.J. Duane is a writer and artist who lives in the Midlands of Ireland. Lucky bastard. He's currently querying his first novel, Tale of a Blackbird, and writing the sequel. He has a number of short stories published in various online literary magazines and the Owl Hackathon number four and self-published four books. When he's not writing, he enjoys reading, music, and dragging his family through the woods. No, not in that way. You can check out his website at roryduaneart.wordpress.com. Uh, thanks very much, Rory. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. We appreciate you, Rory. Hey, do me a favor, would you? Subscribe to this podcast wherever you do your listening and leave me a five-star review and maybe a kind word there, even if you're listening on YouTube. I need soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and I appreciate it. 
To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of your screen. You'll find yourself at ChillinTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, including past episodes of this program, all our other shows, and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all our latest updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Stop on by, would you? Don't forget those submissions. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on this show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, friend. At least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, and if you run out of gas, just toss it in the tank. Ethanol's all the rage this summer. Who needs corn, right? or gas. I'd like to recognize a couple more friends of the show. Sirloin of Beef, Red Hot, and Dread. I've really been appreciating the comments and support. So without further ado, Sirloin of Beef, Red Hot, and Dread. May the wind be at your back, and may the road rise up to meet you. Check your vehicle's height before you go through any funny tunnels and watch your mouth around the dead. And until next time, y'all, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> Good night, friends. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.